0: Wow, if, uh, if there's anyone visiting that's not used to a cappella singing, you know why we do it. That was beautiful, Craig. And uh, I think every song you led uh, says exactly what I want us to walk away with tonight, that he is stronger. And he is working in and through us, his people. So, Roxy and I were talking on the way to Houston, and I said, how long has it been since I was a youth minister at Memorial? And uh, <clears throat> we figured it's over 40 years now uh, when we first came, and about 40 years ago when we left, And to see Craig standing up here now as an old man. (laughs) I'm I'm just teasing. But I mean, I still see Craig as a teenager. It's like, what happened, you know? Uh, And and now a lot of the kids in the youth group that I was a part of are starting to retire. And I'm like, wait a second. I I was supposed to do that before you uh i i don't plan on ever retiring this isn't a job for me it's my life and i've been blessed my whole life to not to have to worry about a job the church has supported roxy and me and our kids as they grew up and uh i just can't can't tell you how blessed we have been over the years and so i really wrestled with what to talk about tonight uh, As a minister, a preacher, uh, I want to deliver a message from God's Word that will challenge you, but at the same time, as a missionary, I want to tell you about the work that God is doing in India and now in Nepal that you have been so faithfully supporting for so many years. And so I'm going to kind of put the two together as best I can, so just be patient with me. I've had several presentations, and i I'll be 69 next month, and so uh, I'm going to start using that as my excuse. Well, I'm just old, you know, and and of course I mess up a lot. But uh, I want to start with this passage from Philippians, the second chapter, verse 13. Paul's in prison, and he's writing to the Philippian church, and he says, For God is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. It's a short statement, but it is filled with so much meaning if we believe it. If we really believe it, that God's working in each one of us. And as he works in us, he gives us desires. And then he gives us the power to accomplish those desires of those things that will really please him. Now, He doesn't give us power for everything. He gives us power for those things that will please Him. And so as we have desires, that's what He does in our life. And so tonight I'm going to talk to you about some of the desires that He's put into my life and how He's done that. And and I wanted to look at this passage in Proverbs 16 and verse 9. It it has become really a a foundational scripture in my thinking whenever it comes to the way God leads us. The Proverbs, uh, Solomon says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And I've read that over and over, and, and here's my understanding of it, is that God wants our participation. A lot of people sit around and say, I just wish God would tell me what to do. Well, God's saying, what do you want to do? What's your plan? And you come up with the plan, and then God will direct your steps in the way you're to go to accomplish that plan if it is a plan that's according to His will. I was talking to the mission committee right before service and I said I remember some of the old men when I would get up and uh, as a child you know growing up in the church and and I'd hear them pray and and they had a phrase they'd use so many times they'd say dear God guide guard and direct us and and sometimes I felt like it was just kind of a rote phrase that they would use but but the more I've thought about those words I want God to guide me I want him to guard me I want him to direct me But yet Solomon says, Kurt, make some plans. Just make some plans. And so he just gives me that opportunity to do that. And then as I make the plans, he says, I'll direct your steps. Don't don't worry. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you through life. And so I was thinking about my life and thinking about the defining moments that I have had in my life and I am standing in a place where defining moments are just so random, it's just hard to even begin. But I I will start back in college. I was a junior in college, and the elders called the Harding campus and said, hey, we want someone to come and work with Bill Moody for the summer as a youth intern. And Jerry Jones and Jimmy Allen, for whatever reason, recommended me. And I came and I was just like I don't think I've ever seen a church this big and I was just blown away. I was just I grew up in Illinois and most churches a hundred, maybe two hundred, and Richard Jones was preaching at the time and Bill Moody and, and I was just all all summer it was beside myself. And then uh, graduated, went to a little town in South Arkansas to work as a youth minister, and then eventually went to graduate school. Uh, I had a plan to get a master's degree, and Jerry Jones said he'd hire me to teach at Harding. And, And that was my plan, but God directed me in a different way. Our daughter came along at the same time that we had just moved to a little church in East Arkansas and our daughter, Corey, who was in this church as a child, eventually, uh, now at 44 years old and two grown kids, uh, it, it threw a wrench in the plans to go to graduate school. Let me just say that. And so that wasn't my plan. Uh, and when, when Roxy went to the doctor after being sick for a long time, and the doctor said, the only thing that's going to make her well is, is nine months. That was not a part of my plan. But God was directing our steps. And since I was working part-time going to graduate school, I I quit graduate school. I talked to the church and I said, hey, I'm working full-time now. I need enough to feed not just my wife, but my daughter that was just born. And they said, well, we just don't have the money to do that. So what plan do you have, Kurt? Well, I started calling around and I'd stayed with Everett and Beecox. The summer that I was here, so I called Everett and I said, Hey, Everett, uh, you know of any preaching jobs? You know, I want to be a preacher and I'm having a hard time doing that. And he said, Well, I've been preaching just part time out at Katy. We need a full time preacher. You come out and, and we'll interview you. Well, it happened providentially, and, and this soul sermon's about God's direction and providence in our lives. Providentially, he came to Memorial to speak at a uh, personal evangelism get together, and, and he talked to Delbert Burkhart and he said, You're not going to believe who's coming to try out at Katy. Delbert said, Who? and he said, Kurt Picker. Well, what Everett didn't know is that the elders were looking for a youth minister at the time, and so Delbert Burkhart called me and he said, Hey, we need you to come talk to us about being a youth minister. And I said, Well, you know, if it doesn't work out in Katy, I'll I'll come back and we'll. And he said, no, "No, no, you were here that summer, and you owe it to us first to come here." And, and those of you who knew Delbert, he's up there with the Lord right now, organizing things, I'm sure. And uh, he said, you, "You just don't you don't say no to Delbert, you know." And he said, "I tell you what, you come see us first, then you can go to Katy. I've, I'm going to get tickets. You go to Memphis." He had first. First class tickets. I'd never flown first class. I've never flown first class since then. And and he, I mean, they brought us in. Long story short, that one call was a defining moment in my life. I, I know God could work out if I had gone to Katie or, or wherever. He he can work it out, but but that was that moment that we decided. And the reasoning was, it was good reasoning, it said, Kurt, you need to come work with an established church with good leadership, uh, a good staff you can learn from, and I did. And so that was a defining moment when Delbert Burkhart made a simple call and convinced me to come and talk to the elders here, and eventually uh, we moved here. So those four to five years were tremendous years of growth for us. And I believe God was guiding. He was guarding. He was directing uh, as we did that. But I still wanted to preach. And I told them, after four to five years, I'm going to find a place I want to preach. And I heard about this group that was meeting out on the west side of town. And they contacted me and they said, we think we have enough to hire you for a year, but we don't know about after that. And... I said, "Okay, I'm going." And it was scary. Roxy'll tell you she went, pretty much kicked, kicking and screaming. She she said, "It's good here. These people are kind to us. They love us. Those people don't know us, and 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 they're going to run out of money, and we won't be able to feed our daughter." You know, and on and on she went, and and so we we went out there. We we felt called to do that, and so that was our that was our plan, and. And for 18 years, I preached at the West Houston Church. And God guided us, he guarded us, he directed us. Until I got a call from an elder from the North Atlanta church. That they were starting a church north of Atlanta. And Jerry Jones again had said, oh, here's the guy. He, He started a church in Houston. You ought to give him a call. And so he called and... We'd raised our kids there. We 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 had our closest friends there. We'd been there for you know here in Houston for 22 years, 18 years out at West Houston, and I was wrestling with should I go. And I'll never forget the question he asked. And this will help you in in those defining moments. Should I do this? Should I do? This? Is this God's will? Is this my will? And the question he said to ask yourself is what's best for the kingdom he said kurt if if it's best for the kingdom to stay in houston you absolutely need to stay in houston but if it's best for the kingdom to move to georgia and and help this church do what you help the church in houston do you need to move to georgia well that made it pretty easy and so what I'm, what I'm telling you is that God has used people in my life all the way back to the preacher that when I was a little kid, every time I'd walk out, he'd say, Kurt, you're going to be a preacher when you grow up? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. From those defining moments up through the ones that have changed the whole direction of our life, I've come to realize that that passage I read, God is working in his people he's working in you and giving you the desires to do what you need to do and have the power to do what you need to do to do what will please him but then god called us to india after being in georgia for 14 years preaching at that church we had started the mission work that y'all were supporting almost from the very beginning after the tsunami that hit that part of the world we would go every year and I just was amazed at how many people were coming to Christ and so eventually uh, I said I I think this is what I need to do for the rest of my life and so we received support from the West Houston church and uh, from a dear friend supporting us and so Whenever I go and talk to churches, I say, this isn't supporting me. It's supporting the work directly because my support's already taken care of. And then I want to show you how God has worked in the lives of people that I've been able to maybe influence and speak into their lives. And so, Raman Yudea, uh, I'm going to talk about people from now on because that's how Paul says God does his work. He does it through people. That's how he's going to accomplish his purpose through people. Rama and Judea uh, were in Angol, India when the tsunami hit. And children were being brought to the church where his dad was the minister. And Rama was young and just starting into the ministry. And Rama saw the, the light that this is God's call for me. And I talked to Rama and I said, you, you need to prepare yourself to take the work that your dad is now probably going to be passing on very soon. And he did pass that work on to Rama and Judea. And we've been working with them now for over 16 years. And the work that has come through them is amazing. We support over 200 people with leprosy every month. They're given food, medical supplies, Clothing, we every month it's happening. We now have 200 children, not in the orphanage that we built, and I'll explain that in a little bit. But we uh, built the orphanage, and let me go back here. It just keeps wanting to go back. It likes, it likes that picture right there. Okay, <clears throat> automatically it went to that picture. It's, that's okay. You, I'm going to go real quick. Look at these two little kids, okay? <laughs> Do you see that? That's uh, That was Chitty and Pavitra. Roxy and I decided to sponsor them in the orphanage that we had, that we built after the tsunami. And uh, watching those kids grow up there in that environment was a blessing. And Chitty, uh, that's him now at 22 years of age. He is studying cybersecurity and... Uh, We're funding his education. He has to give me his grades, show me what he's doing. He calls us dad and mom every night. He'll say, good night, dad, good night, mom. And it's a blessing to be pouring into his life. Hopefully, there are some defining moments that we have been in his life as Rama and Judea provided a place for him when no one would care for him. And there were over 500 children that came through the Wing's children's home until uh, Prime Minister Modi, who is now the Prime Minister in India, became the Prime Minister of India and he made it absolutely clear he wants India to be an all-Hindu nation. And so they've been shutting down Christian organization after Christian organization, Compassion International shut down, bank accounts frozen, visas taken away, they're no longer there. They were probably helping thousands of orphan children. Uh, the organization that Mother Teresa had that was so highly respected in India as she cared for so many people, uh, they cannot receive foreign contributions and so their organization is being closed. And so we knew our wings is going to be questioned and they did, they would come and question the children in the uh, wings home Are they teaching about Jesus? And we didn't want the kids to lie, and so we said, okay, we're going to close the orphanage, and it broke my heart. But now those children are out in villages, and those children are uh, being cared for by us as we sent them into villages where we have churches. Some of them had some extended family that we said, if you'll take them, we'll provide not only for them, but for your family to have enough to care for them until they get out of school. And so now instead of 50 children, we have about 200 children that we're helping to support in that way. So God has a way of working and working in the lives of people. Next, I wanted you to see the picture of these two people with leprosy, and I could go on talking about all those that we serve with leprosy every month, caring for them. Nanny B., is the one there on my left, your, your left as well. How about that? I'm looking at that. So, yeah, okay, so your left. And Anyb B uh, was the first person with leprosy. And I say person with leprosy, we don't call them lepers uh, because I was corrected. And that's what we do here in America. Oh, when Jesus you know, healed the lepers, they say, don't, don't call people by their disease. We wouldn't say, well, there's a cancer there just like we would say there's a leper. No, those are people with leprosy. And she was the first to come to Christ and now well over 200 have come to make Christ the Lord and Savior because of a defining moment in her life when Venkata Rao, Rama's dad, went and taught her when no one else would have anything to do with her. And so I'm, I'm giving you these illustrations of people that I know And how God has influenced their life, it's been through other people of faith. And so, we move on. We move on. This is Sharitha. I want to tell you her story. Sharitha was a Hindu, very strong Hindu, and and really a pretty prosperous Hindu. And we've not had much success in converting The wealthy Hindus, because they believe in all their foreign gods, and they're like, our gods are taking care of us, why would we want some new gods? But the very poor people, when they hear that there is a God that loves them unconditionally, there is no caste system in Christianity. They're coming in droves. Well, Sharitha wasn't one of those low caste. She was higher caste, and her husband contracted covid They began selling land and selling possessions and selling everything they had in order to put him in the very best hospitals they could, but to no avail, and he died. And Sharitha was uh, in that place of despair, and she had some pills, and she made up her mind, I'm going to commit suicide, and I'll give the pills to my two children because I can't provide for them anymore. And we'll just all die. And with the idea of reincarnation that the, that the Hindus have, it's not as bad maybe as in their mind as we would think. Why would you do that? Well, providentially, she met Udaya that day out in the street. And Udaya started talking to her. And she said, yes, I have pills. I'm, I'm going to take my life. And, she, and Udaya said, before you do that, come with me to a lady's Bible study that I have planned. And again, providentially, she was studying the life of Job. And when Sharitha heard about this God who tested Job, and when he came through the test, how God blessed Job, she said, I want to know your God. And she didn't commit suicide. Well, fast forward just a few months, really. She's not been a Christian long. She became a child of God. Found out that Sharitha is a licensed by the government seamstress. We had started a sewing program, a tailoring program in the Wings Orphanage since the kids weren't there. We're teaching widows to sew because widows are abandoned many times in the Hindu religion and culture because they have bad karma. You know, it must have been something in their previous life that, you know, caused her to lose her husband. And so we have now taken her in to train our widows to sew and be licensed by the government to now be gainfully employed. As they graduate from the school, they then uh, are given sewing machines and we are going in April to meet with some of the uh, garment factories and the World Bank and I've got a businessman that's putting together all this this stuff, You see, in India, they're okay with us starting Indian business in India and sending American money to do that. They just don't want us sending American money to convert people to Christianity. So we're going to help these women be sustainable, hire these Christian women in these cottage industries that are being outsourced by these uh, major companies, and prayerfully they will then be able to support themselves and also help support the church uh, that they are now a part of. And so the sewing center uh, is going and that lady sitting right there in the middle is the lady that was going to take her life. And now she is your sister in Christ. Defining moment, I think I'd call that a defining moment when she met Eudea, who shared her faith with Sharitha and now look how sharitha is blessing others by her gifts and her talents and her faith and so i move on from her to nepal uh, nepal there we go it's just north of india and i was happy to be in india doing the work that we were doing but back in march of 2020 this is right before covid hit I decided we need to go to another country because my 10-year visa in India is running out. And with the opposition that many are facing in India, ministers weren't been uh, given their visa renewal. And so I thought, I'm not gonna get to go back to India, so I need to find a country close that we can bring our India leaders. Before, I was able to preach and teach, and now I'm preaching and teaching to the preachers and teachers. Because I can't do it, or they will take my visa away. And so we're going to go to Nepal. And so in that journey to Nepal, we are looking for a place to train uh, our ministers, give them a better understanding of how to make disciples. And as we're coming back from the location that we had found, uh, I, I see this tower and on top of this tower looking out over the Himalaya mountains is this young man standing up there and you don't come right out in either India or Nepal and say you're a Christian because it's against the law to convert someone to Christianity in both nations now and so I said yeah we're here as tourists and seeing your country and I want to bring a group over and be able to enjoy uh, Nepal and he talks some more, and before long, we kind of, through some ways, begin to realize we're both believers. And I, and I finally said, "Are you, you a believer?" He said, "Absolutely, I'm a believer." He said, "I just finished two years of Bible study, and, and he says I'm, I'm now going out to the unreached un, uh, people have no idea who Jesus is, going to those districts in in Nepal, and. Uh, you know, it's great to meet you. So I, I give him my contact information. And it, it's a defining moment in his life and my my life at that point. That God put us together at such a time as this. And he had a saying, and I shared it with the mission committee. Later on, uh, he, he sees the way God has put us together, and now we're working together. He gave us a statement that he said his mentor had given him that mother's milk only comes after the baby is born and I said what do you mean and he says well God's timing is always perfect and it was perfect when he introduced us together up on top of that tower for only about five minutes and we started communicating we had to get out of Nepal they were shutting down international travel we had two days to get out went home started communicating with Benjamin, and." And Benjamin, Benjamin then said, you know, we, we have a lot of people in these villages that are starving. They, they, they're they, already very poor, but now they can't work. They can't go out. Could you help? And so I thought, well, let's give it a try. We sent $3,000, and he sent back the most detailed uh, description of everything he bought with receipts and where uh, he was taking these bags of hope that he had Uh, prepared. And because of that $3,000, it was a defining moment in the lives of so many others. This is the village where he lives. And Roxy and I were finally able to go back to India and Nepal in October of this past year after COVID was finally allowing international travel. His village, it looks good by the picture, but it's very poor This was the place that he decided to begin the first church and work with widows and the children from those widows. And as he uh, told us we were coming to that village, he said, I'm gonna go ahead with the motorcycle. I'll have a Jeep that you can get on and, and you can come. And I don't have the picture of the Jeep. I have it in other PowerPoints, but it was a normal Jeep with two bench seats and 12 of us, were in that Jeep for seven hours on just a 95-kilometer trip, which should have taken, you know, maybe two hours. And the two ladies sitting next to me on the bench seat uh, got car sick, and so that made the trip a little longer. We had two flat tires, and it was just one of those things that God, I think, was saying, you really want to go? Are you really wanting to go? And I was like, yep, we really want to go. And I was so glad when we got there. Benjamin was so proud to show us the work that he's been doing. There we go. These are the widows that he found in that village and their kids. And when uh, I met them, I saw the work that he was doing. That he was teaching them about Jesus, was bringing them to Christ, was making disciples. And when we were there in Nepal... Uh, we got to see all the work that he was doing. These were the widows and the children that he would meet with every morning at 6 o'clock, teaching them English and Nepalese so that they could read the Bible. They were illiterate. And I would watch them, and they would quote to me the scriptures. And one of the scriptures they quoted that they were so proud of was James one twenty-seven pure and undefiled religion is to care for widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself unspotted or unpolluted from the world and of course i couldn't understand they could have been saying whatever but i i know that they were saying that verse and uh so we were in the sewing center but while we were in uh, nepal we were finally able to do the reason god took me to nepal to have leadership training with the India leaders. And God has a wonderful way of guiding us. When you make a plan, don't be so disappointed when it doesn't work out exactly how you think it should because God will guide those steps that you have to accomplish what he wants accomplished. And I told Rama, I said, okay, 12 of our preachers, I want preachers, Jesus had 12 guys. He made 12 disciples. We're going to make 12 disciples, you know, who go make disciples. And this is the team that came. I don't know if you can see Rama and Yudai in the middle there. And then, uh, I don't know, will this pointer work? Yes, right there. Do you recognize her? That's Sharitha. So Rama says, Kurt, the 12 preachers that I picked out, some of them don't even have birth certificates and they couldn't get passports. And I've already bought the tickets. Some of the men want to know, can can we bring our wives? And I was like, well, okay. It really wasn't my plan, but you know, bring your wives. And when they came, I was glad that God directs the path, not me. He says, You make a plan and I'll direct your footsteps and the way you're supposed to go because I got to thinking the very first converts that were in India that I know were Rao and Lakshmi, Rama's parents. Lakshmi went to a gospel meeting with J.C. Bailey. I don't know if there's a relationship there, Phil. No. Is there? No. no no relationship. You ought to claim it. I mean, he, he, he did so much work in India. <laughs> We are brothers in Christ. Isn't that right, Philip? And uh, she was converted and then converted her husband, who became a great preacher and converted well over 2,000 people in India. And now several thousand have come because of the work that we joined in with them. And so I was like, okay, maybe it would be good to have women here learning how to be disciples who make disciples. I was like, okay, God, let's see what happens. And so we had our meetings. And you'll see on my right there is Benjamin. He was there the whole five days and Rama. And they learned from each other what they're doing and how they're doing and planning and thinking and dreaming and praying. And there were the women. For whatever reason, the men and women don't sit next to each other like they do here. And they would they would question. They would take notes. And Sharitha's is sitting right there next to Roxy. And I'm, I'm just... Every day we would be together all day. And I had these lessons planned about how Jesus went about making disciples. And how that is what we have failed to do in the church. We've had ministers. And they are the ones to teach and preach and, and bring people to Christ. And we bring people to them. And that's not what Jesus said. He said, no... Everyone is to go and make disciples. And as Tim prayed in his prayer, you don't have to go to India. You don't have to go to Nepal. There's someone that you could have that defining moment in their life and tell them about Jesus. Disciples making disciples. And so they're taking notes. They're asking questions. It was the most amazing time. I loved what we did uh, in those sessions every day. And we'd, we'd have prayer walks. We'd go out and we'd see the beautiful mountains. And we'd stop and we'd, we'd say, well, what should we pray about? And, and we'd just stand there and we'd pray and we'd pray and we'd pray. Well, at the end of the uh, time that we had, I said, this has been everything and more than I could have ever imagined. God has blessed us so much. And so I want us to pray together and And just thank God and and challenge us. And then I listed all these things. And and if I were to say that to you all, you'd say, yeah, let's pray together. And you know that I'd bow my head and I'd lead the prayer. When I said, let's pray together, this is what happened. Is the video going to work? Here it is. Do you have volume? And I was like, that wasn't what I had planned. But God's got better plans than I do. I mean, I still get choked up thinking they're praying desperately that God will use them to do something beyond what we could ever do on our own. And I want you to watch that young man right there that, that is praying so fervently because he wasn't a part of the plan. His name is Naresh. And I'll go ahead and forward to his picture. After we get to Nepal, I mean, I've got a budget for those 12, Rama, Udaya, Roxy, and me, rooms already reserved, and how much is going to cost for a food for the week and everything. I got it all budgeted. And Rama said, oh, Kurt, I, I got one more. I was like, what do you mean one more? We're already here. And he says, well, he lives here. And I said, well, What's the deal, Rama? And he says, Well, his name's Naresh. And he says he was one of the children in the Wings orphanage. His story is an amazing story. When Naresh was just a baby, he contracted measles, which, if he were here, no big deal. Take him to the doctor and he'll be well in a week or two. Well, his dad was the village witch doctor. And he said, I will heal my son. We're not taking him to a doctor. And Naresh got worse and worse and worse. And Naresh says that the people said he died. He said, I don't know if I died or I just was completely lifeless. But at that point, his dad said, there's a minister that has healed some people. And I want to go see him. And he went to the minister. And I don't know who this minister was. But I believe that God used him, whatever he was, whoever he was. And he said, I want you to pray for my son to heal him. And he says, well, I don't do the healing. God does the healing. I'll pray. And God sometimes heals and sometimes he doesn't. Shortly after that prayer, Nuresh said his parents told him, you opened your eyes and you wanted something to eat. And that witch doctor said, I need to know this God. And so he he got some understanding of who God is through that man. But he needed a job. And so, defining moment, he ended up in Angol, where we have our church, our Bible schools. And Rama got to teach, just as Aquil and Priscilla taught Apollos more accurately the way of truth, he was able to teach Naresh's father the full gospel, baptized him. And while he was working, he said, can you keep my son in the home? Because we can't keep him. We we just don't have the money here in India to do that. And so Naresh lived in the home. And he became a believer there in the Wings children's home. Move forward. Father goes back and starts a church in Nepal who Rama has stayed in close touch with. And then Naresh has gone out on his own now and started another church in a completely different village. And Rama said, Naresh wants to come and learn more about discipleship and how to make disciples. And I said, I don't care how much it costs. You bring him. And it was such a blessing. He speaks good English. Benjamin speaks seven different languages as an interpreter. Very intelligent. If you want to know his story, you just need to see Brittany. Brittany Spurlock has written up his story, and it's an amazing story of Benjamin. Benjamin, My wife says it's Benjamin, not Benjur. There's not an R in there. It's Benjamin. And so uh, I want to come to a close. I I could be up here for hours and actually ask Craig, can you maybe cut one or two songs? Just because I know I always go too long. In India, uh, it's not long enough. But here in America, we're used to 20, 30 minutes. And so I'm sure I'm well past both of those. And I just want to end with these, these words that I've just written down on my own. That God's ultimate plan is to bring people into a right relationship with Him. Can we all agree on that? That, that, that was His plan before He created the first man. He knew that we would sin. He knew that we would not be righteous on our own. And so he had a plan to bring us into a right relationship with him because sin would separate us from his holiness. And he's working that plan through his people. And I add that little part just to remind us of what Paul said. God's working in you. He's giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I get frustrated that I sometimes feel like I can't get the message across. Uh, I sometimes feel like my tongue's just a, a big piece of meat and, and I, I can't speak what I, what's on my heart. And, my, and Roxy said, Kurt, just, just share them your heart. Share your heart with them. And uh, I don't know if I've been able to do that tonight, but I come to this and I want, if one person walks out of here tonight and says, you know, I believe that God is working in me and I want to make a plan and I want God to direct my steps and I want him to lead me in the way he wants me to go to do his will. I could go all the way back to Delbert Burkhart and tell you, I don't know where I'd be if, if he had not had that defining moment in my life when he called and said, No, 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 Kurt, you need to come to Memorial. You really need to come here and, and get some experience. And I did. I mean, I was 22, but I looked like I was about 16. Uh, I caught up with my age. You know, I, I, I now certainly look like I'm going to be 29 next month. But, uh, but God has blessed us as we made plans. And, and we've watched we look back and we see the providence of God and I've often said the providence of God in hindsight is 2020 if you'll just look and you say oh I remember why those elders didn't give me a raise because God said that little dead church is never going to go anywhere you need to go where I can mature you and he brought me here At the time, I was like, God, I just want to be a preacher and they won't give me enough to feed my family, you know? And God was like, it's okay, Kurt. You you make a plan, I'll walk with you. It's going to be okay. Well, let me just say that he's working a plan in your life. And I don't know what it is, but you have to look and you have to dream. And and I've asked Benjamin, I said, I've got a donor who has said, I've got some money I've been setting aside, and it's a pretty large amount of money. I want you to dream big. And I'm I'm like, okay. And so I told Benjamin, I said, dream big. He wants to reach every unchristian district in Nepal by 2024. I said, it's a pretty big dream. I said, if you're like Paul, you're going to have to get a Timothy and a Titus to start working with you. And so God's just uh, doing some amazing things. He's done it in our lives in ways that we can't even fathom. But he did it all to bring us into a right relationship with him and that we would bring people with us. And so tonight, maybe there's someone here that has been dreaming and praying and planning. and, And you just want the church to pray with you, that God will use you. And I promise he will. I'm just a pretty ordinary guy that God has done some extraordinary things through my life. If you saw some of my report cards, you'd say, you're not even ordinary, okay? Some of those were a little below ordinary, you know. And yet, here I am. God keeps using me as I do my best to just submit to his will and let him guide my footsteps. And if you need the prayers of the church for him to be in your life and to guide your footsteps and to give you a new direction. Come and ask for those prayers tonight. And there could be someone here tonight who has been wrestling with maybe even your conversion. Were you really converted or were you just put in the water? And maybe tonight you say, you know, I just want to give my life fully, completely to the Lord and let the world know that I want to die to myself. I want to be buried with him in baptism. I want to walk with him the rest of my life. If you want to make that decision, it'd be a great night to do it. It'd be a defining moment, I can assure you. If you need to come in any way, this church has open arms to receive you. Let's stand and sing.